0: All right, so it's 9.55, right? So I get to go until noon. Is Joseph here today? Oh, he's not here. Oh, darn. It's his namesake sermon. Okay. You can watch it online later. Good to see everybody. Aren't you enjoying some blue skies? Yes, Yes, it's such a blessing. Last week we sang the song, Let It Rain, and I thought to myself, I bet you by next week it'll have rained and we'll have blue skies. And God did it. So, thank you, Lord. I think we can take credit for the whole valley, just this church. <laughs> so, story of Joseph. This uh, story works on three levels. If you um, are already familiar with the story of Joseph, uh, you'll be ready. Or if you just read chapter 3 in the story. Has anyone here just read chapter 3 in the story in the last week or so? Okay, we have some, we have some overachievers. Thank you. Good job. And then... If you haven't read chapter 3 or you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, it should still work. I can't promise you'll get every single reference right away. You're going to have to pay attention. So I know that's hard on a Sunday morning, but it's going to be good. I love this story, so I felt really blessed to be able to preach from the story of Joseph. It's probably my favorite story in Genesis out of all the great stories in Genesis. So I was thinking about Genesis, and it's one of those great books where things are simple. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote about hobbits. They like books to be full of things they already know, laid out fair and square with no contradictions. And Genesis is one of those books where it's like, okay, this happens, and then as a result, that happened. And then this person did this, and then that happened. And I noticed with Genesis, people get what's coming to them, good and bad. Um, For instance, Adam and Eve, they were living in obedience, and their life was literally a paradise. And then they sinned, and... It became a hard scrabble of working the the toiling and working the soil and thorns and all of that. They had consequences. Or, for instance, Cain. He killed his brother, and God put a curse on him. He said, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its fruit. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said, my punishment is more than I can bear. And God was like, yeah, you did the crime. You're going to have to do the time. He didn't exactly say that, but basically... (laughs) Noah and his family. They lived a righteous life. And they were the one family that uh, were warned about what was coming and they got, to, you know, they got to build the ark and they got to survive. And then it goes on. Abraham and, and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and his wives. He had four wives. And they uh, lived basically righteous lives. They were blessed. And God gave them extravagant promises and he fulfilled those promises. And so... Then Esau comes along, and Esau made a big mistake. He sold his birthright as the firstborn for a a bowl of stew. So I really hope, 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 hope for Esau's sake that that was a good bowl of stew, because he lost his birthright as the firstborn, and the promise of the inheritance of the promised land went to his younger brother instead. So he got what was coming to him. I know that phrase sounds kind of harsh, but that's what happens in Genesis. It's almost like there's a law of sowing and reaping. It's almost like that's a biblical principle. <laughs> Justice just seems to happen on its own, um, almost as if God isn't making it happen. It just seems to happen on its own. For instance, remember Jacob deceiving his father? I don't know if you remember that. He wanted to get the, the fatherly prayer blessing him, and so he he knew he was a... Not a particularly hairy man, so he had to... He knew his father, who was blind, would feel his arm and think, Oh, is this, is this Esau? So he put on, like, was it goat skin? And then his father felt his arm He's like, Oh yeah, you're nice and hairy. This must be Esau. So he prayed the, the fatherly blessing on Esau. So Jacob deceived, right? And Jacob means deceiver. And what happened? Then Jacob himself was deceived. He worked for seven years to marry Rachel, the younger sister. That's, that's the wife that he wanted. And on his wedding night, he was with his wife and woke up the next morning and, wait a minute, this isn't, even, this isn't Rachel, this is Leah. And he was like, what the heck? And he, he felt deceived. And you can just imagine the same feeling of betrayal and having been tricked that Isaac felt when he realized he'd blessed the wrong son. Jacob felt when he realized that he'd married the wrong woman. It's like what you do in your life then comes back to you later on. Just, it just works that way. That's Genesis and that's a biblical law. So we reach the story of Joseph, and you expect that it's going to be along those same lines. If you live righteously, God lavishes you with blessing. But if you live rebelliously, there's consequences. And Joseph, out of all his brothers, was a righteous man. Um, when you read Genesis, some of the things his older brothers got up to are a little bit naughty. In fact, you can't even really say it. it's. There's kids in the room, so I'm not going to tell you. But those brothers were, were not the best men of God. Let's put it that way. But Joseph was. Joseph was a righteous man. And let's see what happened with Joseph. Chapter 37, 3, it says, Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his brothers because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Okay, so far so good. Things are working out for Joseph. Verse 5, it says Joseph had a dream, and he tells his brothers his dream. We are binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. I'm under the impression a sheaf is like a bundle of wheat, right? (laughs) Nowadays we don't really know the farming lingo. So is that a dream that his brothers would like to hear? I had my sheaf and you guys' sheaves all bowed down to mine? I think that the older brothers might not like that, but he was a little bit insensitive, maybe a little clueless. Um, So he goes ahead and tells them his next dream. Um, He has 11 brothers. So he says, in my next dream, the sun and the moon bowed down to me and the 11 stars. And uh, even his parents were like, who do you think you are, boy? So, but anyway, if these dreams are from God, it seems like he's on the track from the Lord for a blessed life. Even his older brothers are going to be bowing down to him. So again, everything seems like typical for what we get in Genesis. You live righteously, you get blessed. So what happens with Joseph? One day he goes out to visit his brothers in the field. And you'll notice the younger brother gets to stay home wearing the richly ornamented robe while the older brothers have to go out and do the grunt work. Is that really fair? So Jacob really plays favorites with Joseph. So these older brothers are already going to be tempted to feel jealous. And then they have these dreams and it makes it even worse. So what happens? 23. When Joseph came to his brothers... They said, here comes that dreamer. And it says, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. This is the coat of many colors. And they took him and threw him into a cistern. It's like an empty well. And later, some Ishmaelite traders wander by. These are actually family members. Ishmael was their great uncle. So these are like their second and third cousins wandering by. Um, So it's kind of like one big happy family reunion here. And uh, his brothers, it says, pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. Ch- 20 shekels of silver. And you might think that sounds like a lot because it's silver. I looked it up. I Googled it. How much is 20 shekels of silver? I had to do a little math. I uh, converted it into grams. Anybody have a guess? What, how, how much do they value their brother? What would 20 shekels of silver go for nowadays? Anybody, anybody have any idea? a little more than that, $175 is what they valued their brother at. So not a lot. That's about uh, one or two days' labor's worth of work, and he's a slave for the rest of his life. So that's a good deal for whoever buys him. Um, Not nice brothers. Some of you have thought, you've had some disagreeable family reunions. (laughs) How could Joseph be sold into slavery when he was a righteous man? doesn't fit the Genesis mold. Didn't happen to Abraham, didn't happen to Isaac, didn't happen to Jacob. Jacob did some bad things. He got to live a great life. How is this fair? What is God up to here? Yeah. Maybe things will get better since he is a righteous man. Let's keep looking. He keeps his character up. He remains a good boy. And soon he's made the top-ranking slave. Well, that's good. You may be sold into a foreign land and you're a slave, but at least you're the top-ranking slave in your new house, uh, in your for your Egyptian master it says chapter 39 verse 3 when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did Potiphar, that's the master put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned well that doesn't sound too bad Potiphar really likes Joseph Potiphar's wife really likes Joseph really likes him um, and it gets out of hand but Joseph is a man of God And he tells her, how could I do such a wicked thing? And he actually runs out of the room when she tries to seduce him. And what does she do? Does she say, uh, oh, you're right, sorry, my bad. I won't do that again. No, she says this. She waits for her husband to come home. She has his cloak in her hand because he ran out of the room while she was grabbing his cloak. And she says to her husband, that Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard this story, his wife told him, it says he burned with anger, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. He's lucky not to have been killed, or blessed, I should say, not lucky. Question, where's God? He did the right thing. If he had fallen for her seduction, she wouldn't have, put it, she wouldn't have told a lie and he might not have been put in prison, but because he did the right thing, now it's getting worse. It's not fair. It's not right. And God let it happen. It does say, chapter 39, verse 20, God was with him and showed him kindness. The warden put Joseph in charge of the prison. So now he's in charge of the prison. Everywhere he goes, God keeps putting him in charge, but still, he's still a slave in prison. Not great. But, okay, he is still righteous. He's kept his righteousness up despite all these attacks. Maybe God will quickly get him out of prison. That would be fair, right? What does God do? says, sometime later, he meets two glum men in this dark, dingy prison. And they're, they're glum. You can tell from their faces they're down in the dumps. And he says, why are your faces sad? And they say, well, we just had some ominous dreams. Now, Joseph... Knows a thing about dreams. He's had some experience with dreaming. And he could have said, don't get me started on dreams. The Lord will give you dreams and it sounds like he's promising you the whole world. And it doesn't work out. You can't count on him. I don't want to hear about your dreams. No, he doesn't say that. He has kept his heart tender towards the Lord through all of this. And he says what? He says... Do not dreams, do not interpretation of dreams, belong to God. Tell me your dreams. He's kept his faith up. And he goes on and he interprets the dreams correctly. And for the one guy, he gets sprung out of prison three days later and he gets rehired by Pharaoh to be a court official, a cup bearer, which is actually uh, fairly important. He tests, he tests the drinks for Pharaoh and carries his cup, but he also is just around as an advisor. An Important person. The other guy, not so much. It doesn't really work out for him. Um, That's between him and God. It doesn't really affect the story. But Joseph tells the cupbearer, you're going to be back with Pharaoh, and he says, remember me, this is chapter 40, verse 15, remember me, and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this prison. I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now, surely the Lord will give Joseph justice. And the good life he deserves. Surely he'll finally start to reap some of the reward for his righteousness. It will be so easy for God to remind this cupbearer. Just say the word to Pharaoh. He's around Pharaoh. And it it could be over in a day. But what happens? Verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And you're reading this and you're wondering to yourself, Did the Bible break? What's going on here? Why are the rules for Joseph so different than everybody else? He's good. He ought to be blessed. His brothers are naughty. They ought to get what's coming to them. But they're back home with their dad. Jacob was wealthy. They're enjoying their father's wealth and his animals and their pastures, living the good life. And the one brother who's really righteous is in an Egyptian jail as a slave, forgotten and alone. A couple of years ago, I was out evangelizing on West Main and I met a young man who was, I could tell he was spiritually hungry and he was open to the gospel, but he told me uh, there was a block. He didn't use that word. I, I use that word. But he said he's had one problem after another and he doesn't know why the Lord would allow this to happen. So he wasn't quite ready to receive Jesus today because he's not sure how could a good God allow all the things that have gone wrong in his life. And I know that many of us can relate to that in the midst of what's going on in our valley. I think my dad rightly said, locally, we have faced the greatest crisis in our valley since the region was first settled in the 1850s. Over 3,000 homes, structures, businesses I read, are, are gone, up in smoke. Several arson arrests. Two families here in our church have lost homes. Nationally, we have a lot of divisiveness We have riots, we have um, violence, unrest. There's globally, there's a virus. Where is God? A.W. Tozer once said, and this is the key to this whole story of Joseph, this is a quote. While it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes, there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. I'm going to read that again. While it looks like things are out of control, Behind the scenes, there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. While I was speaking with that young man, I prayed, Lord, what should I say to this guy who's been through all these things? What would move him to believe in you? Give me you, you give me the right answer. Because God promises he'll give you the words to speak if you ask him. He says that. So I said, what should I say? And he reminded me of the story of Joseph. So I said, do you know what happened to Joseph in the Bible. He went through a lot of hardship. And he hadn't heard the story of Joseph, so we talked about the story of Joseph for a while and all the things that happened to him that were terrible. And he was very open. I was surprised by how open. Something about the story of Joseph moved him. And I realized after about 10 minutes of talking, I didn't know his name. So I said, I'm David. By the way, what's your name? And he said, Joseph. (laughs) And it was that one thing, the fact that we were talking about his namesake that finally opened the door for him and he wanted to pray to receive Jesus in his heart. And so the Lord had given me exactly the story that fit. Before we go on with the story, I want to point out, Joseph could have cursed God for his trials, he could have blamed God, could have turned his back on God because of what God allowed. It was a painful thing that he went through. I know it was, what, 3,500, thousand years ago so it's easy for us to see him just as a bible figure but this was a real man who went through pain and says his brothers remembered his pain later joseph overheard them talking they didn't know it was him and he he heard them say chapter 42 verse 21 we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life but we would not listen people have turned their backs on god for more than what joseph went through If Joseph was anything like some of his brothers, he would have been seduced by Potiphar's wife, but he wasn't, and he didn't. He could have given up his faith, but even in prison, the story finds him declaring interpretation of dreams belongs to God. He kept his faith through every painful trial that appears to have lasted for years. His brothers didn't even recognize him when they finally saw him years later. That's how long this went on. However, Finally, one day, it happened. Or maybe it was one night, I should say. Pharaoh has a dream, or two dreams. Seven fat, healthy cows are swallowed up by seven gaunt, ugly cows. I don't know about you, I've never dreamed about cows, so you you would wake up and you'd be like, what does that mean? What's going on? What did I eat? Seven bountiful heads of grain is the next dream, and they are... Replaced, supplanted by seven scrawny, unhealthy grains, heads of grain. So Pharaoh wakes up and he knows there's a meaning here. and He can't figure out what it is. In hindsight to us, it might seem kind of obvious. Hmm, seven healthy cows get swallowed up by seven gaunt cows. Maybe that means seven good years followed by seven bad years. I don't know, just throwing that out there. But neither Pharaoh nor any of his advisors have any idea what it means. I could just see Pharaoh, an exasperated king, short on sleep, staring around, and he's in frustration at all his diviners and priests. What are you guys for? You can't even, you can't even give me one interpretation of these dreams? So in walks the cupbearer, and he overhears their conversation. I always imagine him trying really hard not to spill the cup because he knows that Pharaoh gets mad and puts him in prison. But he hears this, and he's like, Dream interpretation. What does that remind me of? Hmm. That rings a bell like a deja vu. Pharaoh was clearly surrounded by some real geniuses here. (laughs) There's a famous pyramid I want to put a picture up of. uh, It shows you that the Egyptians weren't always really brilliant. If we have that, I don't know if we have the pyramid. (laughs) This pyramid, they tried to Build it and they realized halfway up that they had the wrong angle, so <laughs> they changed. I'm wondering if this was built by the cupbearer, because this guy wasn't very sharp. Um, they only show you the good pyramids as a rule, but this, this one, this is one of the earlier models. Okay, we can get, get rid of that. So this cupbearer, but he does say, you know, by the way, I know someone who can interpret dreams. He's probably a little ticked at me because I forgot about him. And so they bring in Joseph. And they're nice enough, these Egyptians, to let Joseph shave and change his clothes. After however many years he was wearing the same clothes in prison, his beard was probably, I don't know how long. But uh, he gets to shave and change his clothes. And uh, I have a picture of what Egyptian clothes look like. This is a real Egyptian art from about 4,000 years ago. That's the, um, one of their wall paintings. And you can see, it's kind of basically you just wear a towel. Hopefully it's, some, hopefully it's just nice Egyptian cotton or something. But... <laughs> I doubt as a slave he would have gotten to wear the leopard skin or the jackal mask. But uh, anyway, he hopefully he gets to change of his towel. And he goes into Pharaoh. We can take that down. Just a little fun there. And he tells him, I can't do it. Sorry. But God can do it. And he says, he hears the dreams, and he tells him, you know, the dreams are one and the same. You're going to have seven good years followed by seven bad years. And you're going to want to appoint somebody to be in charge of taking some of the the overflow from the good years and saving it for the bad years. Somebody wise and discerning, hint, hint. No, I added that. He didn't say hint, hint. But Pharaoh gets the hint. I imagine he looked around in his throne room at some of his slack-jawed advisors and then looks back at Joseph and he's like, you do it. (laughs) The cupbearer can keep being the cupbearer. You're going to be in charge here. So, Joseph in a matter of minutes, literally minutes, Goes from being an enslaved prisoner to being effectively the ruler of the entire kingdom. He's, he's the number two man right beneath Pharaoh. But Pharaoh does what everyone else has done, Potiphar and the prison warden. He just puts Joseph in charge. And Joseph effectively becomes the ruler of the most powerful country in the world at that time. And Pharaoh said something very profound. Chapter 41, verse 38, he said, "'Can we find anyone like this man, "'one in whom is the Spirit of God?' I love that quote. Do you have the spirit of God in you? The same spirit that was in Joseph is in you if you have received Jesus in your heart. So don't sell yourself short. Joseph's qualification for this position as the ruler of the most powerful country in the world, second only to Pharaoh, was what? The spirit of God inside him. Well, what can we say about all this? This is a great story, lots of ups and downs. It gets better for Joseph, but he went through this. Betrayal at the hands of his brothers, slavery in a foreign land, false accusation and imprisonment. Betrayal again from the court official who promised to remember him and then promptly forgot. None of it could keep Joseph from God's good plan. No hard circumstance could keep Joseph from God's good plan. You'll notice I didn't say bad circumstance when I was a kid we used to run around and play tag outside church and I used to hate it when the old people back then if you were like over 50, I thought you were old but now now it's more like if you're over a 100 I think you're old <laughs> there was a, one of our pastors we used to I, I had the bad habit of being a good listener I didn't really want him to stop me and talk to me I wanted to go play, but he grabbed my arm and he he told me something kind of random, but I never forgot it. He told me, you're not going to forget this. And I was like, oh, just let me go. I want to go play. But he said, hard times aren't bad times. They're just hard. Okay, thanks. Now can, now can I go play tag? But I never forgot it. Hard times aren't bad times. They're just hard. Joseph went through some hard times, but they didn't have to be bad because of the spirit that was in him. And no hard circumstance was able in the end to keep him from God's good plan because he kept his character and his faith. So if you, any of you have any pearls of wisdom you want to share, just find some kid and share it with them. That's great. <laughs> They'll thank you 30 years from now. But the same is true for us. It's not just true for Joseph. In the midst of fires and loss, arson and riots, a damaging virus and an economically damaging lockdown, No circumstance is bigger or stronger than God's good plan for his people. Joseph went through more than hard circumstances. People failed Joseph. His brothers were jealous. Potiphar's wife was vindictive. The cupbearer was negligent. But no amount of human failure or human disappointment could keep Joseph from God's good plan for his life. And sometimes he failed himself. He probably shouldn't have shared that Self-glorifying dream with his brothers. He could have been more sensitive. He could have known that he was already the favored child. He's the youngest. And he he shouldn't be sharing a dream with them when they are bowing to him. But he did it anyway, and it created a jealousy that may have sparked this whole thing, all these problems. He uh, he wasn't sensitive. It wasn't wrong. It just wasn't wise. And then later, he shouldn't have necessarily been alone with Potiphar's wife. Uh, It created the situation where she was able to accuse him. Again, it wasn't sin. It just wasn't necessarily wise. But even his own human weaknesses, even his own lack of foresight, even that wasn't enough to keep him from God's good plan. God's perfection is more than enough to make up for our weaknesses. So whatever weaknesses we have, whatever lack of foresight, oh, I didn't see that coming, whoops, I messed up again. If you have your character and you have your faithfulness, God's perfection is more than enough to make up for our human frailty, right? Thank God for that. Because none of us are perfect. However, he could have messed it up. It would have been possible. What could he have done that would have kept him from God's good plan? Well, it doesn't come out right out and say, we, we can infer if he had fallen for Potiphar's wife's seduction, if he had given into the desire for revenge against his brothers, um, if he had let himself become mad at God and lost his tender heart towards the Lord, you can see that those are the sorts of things that could have kept him from God's good plan. But no circumstance was going to do it because God was with him. I remember my first grade um, teacher. She was this hard faced, very severe woman, very pious. I'm sure she was a good person, but to us she was terrifying. This was a school called Lewis and Clark Christian Academy. My parents sent me there in their infinite wisdom. It was one of these (laughs) spanking schools Discipline, discipline, discipline is a thing for young children, especially young boys. Um, And early on in my first grade year, she wanted me to stand up and read something. And terrified, because I knew if I messed up, I'd get spanked. Probably not really, but that's what I was thinking. I kind of told her, I can't read yet. I can't read. And she looked at me very severely and she said, That's no excuse. Stand (laughs) up and read it. Somehow I I muddled through it. God's a little nicer when we try to give him excuses. But he'll say, don't worry, I'll be with you. And once he says that, it's like, doesn't matter if you can't do it, he's with you. So what what are you going to say? You have to do it. And it's always good. So not even our, our innocent weaknesses can keep us from God's good plan. So, in summary, no circumstance, no human failing, no weakness not founded on unbelief. I want to say that very carefully. No weakness not founded on unbelief can keep us from God's good plan. In fact, this is very important. So everybody, I know I've been preaching for over 20 minutes and somebody said once you preach for more than 20 minutes, nobody listens anymore. But this is good, so listen up. The more attacks we face, whether human attacks or diabolical attacks, the more God adds to his good designs for us. That's one thing we can learn from the story of Joseph. If he had not been attacked, he would have stayed in Canaan. He would have inherited his share of his father's fields and wealth. He would have had a good, probably easy life. But he would never have been the ruler of Egypt. And he would never have been in the position he was. Because what happened? The seven years of famine came. And Egypt, under Joseph's leadership, was the only place in the entire region that had food. And Joseph told his brothers, when he finally did meet them, because they came down, they didn't recognize him, and they saw him, and they bowed down before him, because they thought he was the ruler of Egypt. So the dream came true. Finally, when he ends up, there's a whole big story, you need to read it, but he finally ends up telling them, I'm Joseph. It says they were so terrified in his presence that they couldn't even speak. <laughs> but he tells them, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And he mentions all the lives, I don't remember the exact words he uses, but he says all the lives that were saved came through this. Now, I don't know the population of the region at the time, but the famine has spread all the way to Canaan. So you're talking about Egypt and the surrounding areas. You're talking about at least hundreds of thousands of lives that were saved in a seven-year famine, where it says it was so bad they didn't even sow or reap because it was so dry, but through Joseph's. Trials and tribulations, God saved all those lives. And he became the ruler of Egypt. He married, had kids. He got to see his father again. And he saved the land. He had a good life in the end. Um, And that was because of what he went through. The attacks made his life better in the end. So when you go through hardship and when you see suffering and it's something that the Lord has allowed, don't let it get you down and don't let it question bring a question about God's goodness because he will actually use that To make your life better than it otherwise would have been. We can learn that from the story of Joseph. So, I'm just going to pray for everyone here. um, That we will learn from this um, tenderheartedness towards God. And this amazing gift of of letting things go. I didn't quite get to it, but he let it go. He, He forgave his brothers. So, Lord Jesus, for everyone here and everyone watching. We pray that there will be an amazing restoration. If there's any kind of a breakdown in our relationship with you because of what we've been through, that we will know that what that attack meant for evil, you will use for good in our lives in Jesus' name. And this amazing quality that he had to forgive his brothers, I pray you'll highlight to us anyone we need to forgive. And I pray you'll just put their picture before us right now in our mind's eye. And just like Joseph, we say, Am I in the place of God? I forgive not my place to judge. I forgive. I let it go. I don't hold it against you. I am free of this because I'm not holding any unforgiveness against you anymore. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.